Hello and welcome to the Language Revolution podcast. My name is Kate Hamilton. I'm a languages teacher and founder of Babel Babies. The aim of this podcast is to get people talking about talking. So without further ado, let's get started. Language is rather a Mount Everest of subjects. I'd like to find out how we can help our youngsters fall in love with language again and why we should study it as a subject. And if there's one person who can help get to the top of this Mount Everest, it's Professor David Crystal. Good afternoon, David. Hello, Kate. Nice thank, to be with you. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Um, David, babies and children love playing with language. And somehow I feel that we lose this playfulness in our formal education. Why, why do humans like playing with language so much? I think it's one of the big driving forces behind language. There are, there are three big forces that drive language. One is the need to understand each other. The other is to, second is to express our identity. Mm-hmm. And the third is to play. Mm. And that playfulness comes right at the very beginning. As soon as you're mm. out of the womb and listening to everybody talking to you, you're hearing people talking to you in some very strange ways. All the baby talk, oh, you lovely little baby, you are gorgeous, yes, you are, you are, and all this sort of thing. Yes. Now, everybody does this, Yes. Uh, some more than others. Mm. And so suddenly the baby is encountering a world in which people change their voices, uh, say silly things, and, uh, and, and if there's an instinct for play, it's mm. immediately reinforced by that kind of mm-hmm. encounter. And in the playfulness, I suppose, they elicit care and um, responses from their parents. So it's a positively reinforced um, p- playfulness. Yes, p- yeah. p- play is yes. a reinfor- is a mm. mutually reinforcing thing. You can play by yourself, of mm. course, but uh, in linguistics we have this notion of accommodation. One accommodates to the behaviour of the person one mm. is talking to or being with. Mm. And play is very much an example of that. Mm. Um, you, you see it very, very clearly when people make tape recordings of kids playing uh, at age two or three years of age, and they're just playing away with mm. dolls or planes or whatever it is, yeah. and one kid starts to play with words. I remember making a recording once where one kid started off by saying, I've got an aeroplane, he's got a wing, he's got a wing, a wing, he's got a wingo, a wingo, a wingo. And the other kid says, mm. a wingabo, a wingabo, a wingabo. And they suddenly start trading off each other oh, wow. like this and teaching each yeah. other different kinds of play. Yeah. Now, this all comes very naturally. No mm-hmm. parent has ever taught them to do this. No. That's almost like rap poetry or stand-up oh, poetry. I, I think it's the, beautiful, isn't it? I think the analogy is, is yeah. very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mm-hmm. love to play with the sounds of words. Mm-hmm. And because nobody's taught them to do it, one has to assume that there's something innate mm-hmm. here and mm-hmm. that there is a kind of instinct towards mm-hmm. language play, mm-hmm. which may go back to the very beginning of mm-hmm. language, hundreds of thousands of years ago, mm-hmm. Who knows? But the point is, you, all kids do it, and I've never come across a language where mm. it doesn't happen. Right. So in, we've, and there's a lot of discussion in the um, language teaching community about the um, downfall of or the downturn in take-up of languages, and we seem to be losing that connection with playfulness. It's become a really serious and dry and perhaps not so inspiring subject. I wonder if we could explore how we might regain this childlike wonder mm. with words. Can linguistics help us perhaps get into... 
um, regaining some of the playfulness that well, we have? Well, to go back to the point you were just mm. making before, you mm. know, what went wrong? Mm. Um, and if one can diagnose what went wrong, then maybe one can see ways about making it right. Mm. And the best example of what went wrong, I think, was in the area of learning to read. Mm -hmm. So you get all these kids who are enjoying language so much and bouncing off each other yeah. uh, with language and making noises and things of this kind. And then they go to school and they pick up, well, one of the old readers um, mm. where, you know, hello, we are now learning to read. Uh, and yes. my name is Janet and mm -hmm. your name is John. And we are going to visit our grandmother in the countryside. Very and staid. all of this. Mm. Um, very staid, uh, very um, full kinds of grammar. No, no fun at all. Mm. Uh, then... Th and this puts a lot of kids mm. off. I yeah. mean, they learn to read, of mm -hmm. course, as you mm -hmm. do, but it's not fun anymore. Mm. And then a little later, um, last 20, 30 years, I suppose, we get a new kind of reading material um, mm. out there. You get a, a story about a, a spaceship landing. Yes. And in the old days, it would have been, the spaceship has landed. And now you get mm. this lovely picture and kerplash. Ooh. is written all the way across the page. Yes. And, you know, anybody who reads this wants to say it aloud immediately. And so you mm. get the fun element coming into a mm. lot of the new reading materials. Now, exactly mm. the same thing happens at the oral level as mm. well. Uh, when uh, I was growing up in school, uh, you don't talk in class. Mm. Good Lord, no. You no. get penalised for talking in class. You, get, you can get punished for talking in class. Speech... Oracy generally mm -hmm. is not considered to be a very good thing. Mm. But now, once again, in many classrooms I go into to observe, um, I sense a, a complete sea change yes. in this respect. If mm. a kid wants to speak, uh, as long as he's not too disruptive, of course, then mm -hmm. the speaking is valued. Yes. And the opportunity to say things and to act out things. Mm. We were talking about plays mm. and things later mm. in Shakespeare and so mm. on. But the opportunity to... To, to to be to find present your... to the class yes. with your own mm. voice yes. and to respond to other mm -hmm. people's voices is now highly mm. valued, it seems to yes. me. Yes, I was reading in a formative assessment document, a child who said, when I say it, then I, then I know it. And I think ah. we need to have the opportunity, don't we, to actually sort of articulate our thoughts out loud. Yes, we? that's right. And the, and the feeling of mm. what it is like to, mm. to say something. See, this is another thing. Kids are, are taught to write little stories very, very mm. early on. Um, but when I'm writing my books and things, one of the things I do before I send the manuscript off to the publisher mm. is I read it aloud. Yes. If it doesn't sound right, then there's something wrong with the writing. Right. Now, you know, mm. I know some teachers who do this with stories. All right, you've written your little homework essay and so on. Let's mm -hmm. read it aloud together and see how it sounds. Yes. Not enough of that is done, it mm. seems to me. Yes, so speaking aloud can help us to sort of feel the words, can't it? And help us with word choices and, um, you know, create, That's a, right. create more passion, I think. You know, we need to get that passion for words and speaking back. Yeah, and notice that how, how mm. you research this, you research it by mm. first and foremost... Um, observing, uh, describing, recording, mm. analysing the language that is used, the language that is not used. And this is, mm. to go back to your other mm. question, this is where linguistics comes into play. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, all linguistics is, is the study of language, the science mm. of language, but that's all one is doing. One is studying language and languages, mm. of course, all the languages in the world. 
are waiting, waving at us and saying, come and study me, come yes. and study me. Yeah. And now for most practical purposes at the moment, um, primary school teachers are interested in the English language. OK, mm. and we're mm. trying to extend that remit, of course. Mm. But uh, what you have to do is find out, first of all, what children actually do. Mm. And there's a branch of linguistics called child language acquisition, which spends all its time doing precisely that. Yes. And then you've got to, of course, have the skills to be able to describe mm. what's going on. You have to mm. be able to write down the speech, which means you have to have mm. a bit of phonetics under your belt. Yeah. And then once you've written it down, you have to be able to analyse it and say, oh, look at the words that are being used and look at the grammar that's being used. Mm. And then that scary word grammar comes mm. along. Well, it isn't as scary as all that once you know how to do it well. Yes. And so linguistics comes into play when you are giving teachers or parents or anybody the tools they need mm. in order to foster the mm. intentions that they would like to see manifest in the kids. Yes, indeed. So linguistics can feel a little bit perhaps of a, of a mountain for people. So if we were going to try and introduce linguistics in, um, to the children uh, you know, in their education, maybe primary and secondary, is there a, a nice in point like if we said oh we'll look at etymology because that's a mm. can be quite fun or you know would well, you I, wouldn't use, I wouldn't use the word linguistics for mm. a start no. Um, no. which is uh, really quite a heavy word to introduce to yes. anybody and also it it has had a, a certain amount of a bad press in mm. the sense that because it can be such an abstract subject and studied in such an abstract way remember linguistics is a study of all language is yes and that means if you're trying to devise rules which will explain the structure of all of human language mm. then it can get rather abstract yes now so you don't want to start there now where you want to start is with the topics in language that will interest the clientele mm. that you're wanting to get interested in yes. language mm -hmm. so you don't start by uh, talking to them about subjects that are of really no direct interest or whatever it might be no. so you, you you do a little kind of case study what are you interested in kids mm -hmm. what, what 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 drives you and depending on the age range the answer might be cartoons mm -hmm. on telly or it might be a video game or it might be pop music uh, or it might be mm. Uh, we've just had a little baby brother or sister and we were wondering um, what, what name to give it and what does the name mean? Yes. Or it might be we live in a certain place. Uh, that's a funny name for that place. What does that name mean? Mm -hmm. And so on. So there's lots of inroads. Lots of inroads, yeah. so long as you start mm -hmm. with the interests mm -hmm. of the constituency that got, you're dealing with. Yes, you've got the students at the centre of that. So could you give us a little bit of an overview then? So if we're talking about the different domains of linguistics so we've touched on child language acquisition mm. phonetics um i mentioned etymology are well there are two sides so, to, to language mm. study one mm. is the study of the structure of language mm. the other is the study of the uses that language has mm -hmm. now when you go into the structure of language then you study the uh, first and foremost the meaning because that's what language is all about the mm. meanings that language can express and mm -hmm. the technical term for the study of that is semantics yes so that's at the heart of language and then you ask well how are these meanings expressed and the most important way of expressing a meaning is to put it into sentences and the study of sentences mm -hmm. is called grammar yes so that's the second big domain and then you ask, well, how are we going to express those words and meanings and grammatical and sentences? And you say, well, I could do it through speech. 
in which case you're now into the study of uh, the sound system of a language, how yes. it works, it's called phonology, mm -hmm. and the actual uh, manifestation of that phonology in everyday speech, which you study through the medium of phonetics. Then on the written language, yeah. you can write down your meaning and your grammar, mm -hmm. and that leads you into the subject of graphology, which is the study of the writing system of a language. Yes. And then you can actually take that further and look at the way in which graphology manifests itself in handwriting or mm. in print, and that's mm. graphetics, like phonetics, you see. I see. Now, all of this is part of the structure of language. Mm. Then, having done that, you ask yourself, well, how can language be used? And it can be used in four main ways. Mm -hmm. One is it's used in the sense of time. Uh, mm. Language changes over time. This is the historical study of language, going right back to Anglo-Saxon mm. times, historical yeah. linguistics, or mm. used to be called philology once upon a time. And the other dimension of time mm. is when children change language acquisition, learning from knowing nothing to knowing everything, mm -hmm. and then to, through old age where you might get a deterioration yes. um, of language. So there's the time dimension mm -hmm. to language use. Secondly, there's the... Uh, regional dimension to mm. language use. Language varies and changes depending upon where it is being used. Indeed. So now we're talking about accents and mm. dialects mm -hmm. and things of that kind. And the third dimension is the social variation. In other words, depending upon who you are in society, mm -hmm. so you will speak differently or write differently. Yes. If you're upper class or lower mm -hmm. class, or if you have a certain occupation mm -hmm. or any of these things, then all of this will lead to a uh, set of variations which um, can be studied under the heading of mm -hmm. sociolinguistics. Yes. And then fourthly, and perhaps in a sense most important of all, there is individual variation. Mm. The way in which we as individual beings change our language, vary our language. Mm -hmm. So I might be able to um, uh, speak, I speak to you in a different way from mm. anybody else in the world. My, my voice is unique, my style is unique. If we go to literature, of course, Shakespeare yes. is unique, mm -hmm. Wordsworth is unique. There's the uh, study of... Um, language problems in individual children or mm -hmm. adults, the sort of thing that speech and language therapists yes. study. So you're studying individual variations. So they're the four, four kinds. Mm -hmm. Time, region, society mm -hmm. and individuality. So and the, that, in a nutshell, mm. is what linguistics is all about. So this is it's just such a variety of different aspects of it. So is there one in particular that might encourage children to dive into language? I was wondering, because... Um, uh, we first met at the launch of LASER, which is a linguistics initiative for taking children to the um, linguistics Olympiad and yeah. doing puzzles. And older children there, yeah, though. They're slightly older children. Part, yeah. So that kind of decoding, could perhaps that help get um, boys, for example? So boys are in the min minority of the GCSE languages cohort. There's mm. only 30% mm. of boys who take languages. Could perhaps we... In incorporate somehow some linguistic puzzles and get people looking at language in a very different way to the way we sort of... Oh, sure. From... Um, but the things like the Olympiad mm. have, you know, so far been aimed mm. at the, the old... The kind of puzzles that they present are really mm. quite sophisticated. So that's very sophisticated. And could... they're brilliant at yeah. it, of course, could these we, older Could we kids. bring it down some aspects of that, do you think, maybe for a younger, yes, puzzling mind? It's, it's back to mm. the, the, the question of what... Uh, kind of thing will mm. interest yes. the level that you're dealing with. Mm. So if we're talking about four-year-olds or mm. five-year-olds, then you need to 
uh, devise puzzles which are appropriate mm. to the not, not just the cognitive level that they're at, but yeah. also the interest level yes. that, that they're at. So I find that children are really interested in spotting patterns. Yeah. And so when we teach different uh, languages at Babel Babies, we'll, you know, we'll say, oh, this song, we're saying Badi Piedi in Italian. And they say, oh, that's like Pied in Spanish. And yeah. then they are very adept, you know, they're very adroit at spotting when things match and they like to. Yes, to follow they, they are indeed. Mm. And they get a lot of training in that mm. uh, earlier on in language acquisition. Mm. This is the. Um, pedagogical value of things like nursery rhymes, yes. for instance, because mm. what what rhyme does mm. is it draws your attention to the fact that two words can have a similar sound, and mm -hmm. this is fun. Mm -hmm. And then you can break the rhyme, and that's mm. fun as well. Yeah. Because you know, language is to a very large extent the, mm. the the fun side of language is you 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 learn the rules and then you break them. Mm. Yes. And it's the breaking of rules; it's the fun bit. Uh, but you have to learn the rules mm. first. That's right. And this is all done very naturally mm. in early language acquisition mm. of course because we talk about grammar as if it's a bit of a, um, a, a difficult terrible bête noire subject that we don't want to get too involved with. but actually children they just get on with grammar when they're very little don't they and they almost seem to from my experience as a as a parent i see them working grammar out yeah. like they say oh, i went did to the park and, and they then, spot the patterns right, and then yeah. so yeah. actually could we make grammar a lot less scary if we realize that all humans well you know, yeah, there are naturally two, acquire it. Yeah, the, the the scariness is when people find they have to learn the terminology in order to analyse grammar. Mm. They think that grammar is all, all about nouns and verbs and subjects and objects and things like that. And yes. what is a preposition anyway? And a, oh, yes. Uh, this is an adverbial. What on earth is an adverbial? And mm. so on. Now, that kind of analysis is useful, uh, but it's not essential mm. uh, to the study of grammar. You can study grammar without using any of, any of those terms, really, yes. to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, and then as you get into grammar, then those terms turn out to be useful. Once mm -hmm. again, you use the terms. You don't learn the terms in advance. You mm. learn the terms as you need them in order to explain an interesting problem that comes up. Yes. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, it'll take a couple of minutes, but it's a good example. I was at um, a, a literary festival... And after my talk, I went out into the cafe and there was a teacher with three or four kids and she beckoned me over and, and said, we'd like to talk to my kids. Mm. So I said, sure. Uh, and th th they were all looking at me. So I said, what do you want to talk about? And they didn't know what to say. And the mm. teacher said, talk to them about grammar. Mm. And I said, oh, Ooh. gosh, <laughs> you know, really? I can't do that. I can't do mm. that without knowing what they want to do. So I said to one yeah. of them, a girl called Poppy, Poppy, what, what do you want to do more than anything else? Because uh, she had a book in her hand. Mm -hmm. And she said, opening the book, it was Terry Pratchett's The Carpet People. Mm -hmm. And she said, I want to write like Terry Pratchett when oh, I grow up. Very good. So I said, OK, shall we work out how to do that? Oh, yes, yes please, she says. Mm -hmm. So we opened up the book. And it didn't take long to find an example like this one. The room was full of 10,000 eyes, green, yellow and white. I may be misquoting, but that's roughly mm -hmm. it. Um, and I said to her, do you like that sentence? She says, yeah. What's she like about it? Oh, it's creepy. She says, it's yeah. creepy. Yeah. Do you know why it's creepy? Silence. Mm. Look, if Terry had written it this way, what do you think? The room was full of 10,000 green, yellow and white eyes. Which is yeah. the creepier sentence, Poppy? Mm. The room was full of 10,000 green, red and yellow and white eyes. Or the room was full of 10,000 eyes, green, yellow white mm -hmm. oh the second one she says yeah yes that's right but you know why it's creepy no well look 
if you put these words like green and yellow and white, do you know what they're called? No, she said. I think you do, said the teacher. They're adjectives. Oh, yes, said Poppy. They're adjectives. She knew about adjectives. She'd been, yeah. she'd mm -hmm. been drawing circles around them for ages. Yes. <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, they're adjectives. They're adjectives. Look, I said, mm. if you put the adjectives mm. in front of the noun. Do you know about nouns? Oh, yes, she knew about mm -hmm. nouns too. Put them in front of the noun and then put them behind the noun. It's creepier, isn't it, if you mm. go behind the noun? So here's a little rule for you, Poppy. Put the adjectives after the noun, it's creepier. Put the adjectives before the mm -hmm. noun, it's not creepy. Oh, can I try that out, says Poppy. And then yeah. she's away. And yeah. then she starts to write mm -hmm. a little story in which every adjective goes after <laughs> the noun, and that's going too far. So we had to moderate it yes. a little bit. But notice, mm -hmm. within a couple of minutes, we were talking about adjective and noun mm. as if it was a, is a, a native language, you know. Because it, there was a passion. She wanted to know that, and, she, and it was yeah. driven mm. by an, a, a phenomenon mm. of language in the first place. Yes. In other words, yes. the intellectual analysis mm. using terms like adjective and noun came after, Indeed. not came before. Yes. I think we're starting to see a um, worrying trend now in um, marking of children's writing, saying things like, this is lovely, but could you use some more fronted adverbials? Oh, or yeah. Could you, you know... And, but and, again, um, but, you know, if, if you yeah. start off by mm. realising what a fronted adverbial mm. does, yeah. um, then you suddenly realise, mm. I, I need a, a word to talk about this. Yes. What is it, teacher? I don't think writers sit and think, how many fronted adverbials am I going to have in this paragraph? But they do know in their repertoire of, mm. of craft. No, but, you know, whenever I've talked to mm. a... a in a workshop about this, the important point about a fronted adverbial is that mm. it's not a non-fronted adverbial. Mm. So the first thing you have to do is to say, here's a sentence. Mm. Um, John went to town. Here's an adverb. Quickly. Where can mm. you put it in this sentence? You yes. can say, John went to town quickly. John went quickly to town. John quickly went to town. Quickly, John went to town. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say these in a nice dramatic way. And which is mm. the most dramatic way of saying it? And it's always quickly, John went to town. In other words, mm -hmm. put your adverb at the front mm -hmm. and you get a frisson, which yes. isn't there if you just say, John went to town quickly. Boring, you yes. know. And, and is that the standard word order then, to have it? Yes. Linked? And you, yeah. I mean, the kids mm. know the standard word yes. order. They've already learned the language, mm -hmm. as you were saying before. The teachers know this mm. as well. Uh, but if, if you start by saying, right, right, class, today we're going to talk about fronted adverbials. I mean, that will it, not no. work. And studying those sort of um, grammatical terms in isolation doesn't translate into their writing improving, does it? Unless they have a, a sense of how it's a tool and in their writing toolkit they might... Yes, you've got, you've got, to, you've got to start... You've got to begin at the beginning. Mm. Now, remember, there are four mediums in language. There's mm. writing, reading, speaking and listening. Mm. And as many government reports have mentioned over the years, um, you've got to have all four, the interrelationship between all four. You don't, if you want to improve a kid's writing, you don't start with the writing. Mm. You start with the listening right. and then go on to the speaking mm -hmm. and then go on to the reading mm -hmm. and then go on to the writing. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, um, you, you notice that a kid has written an essay and it's full of uh, ands all over the place. Mm. Typical kid's essay. Uh, write a story about your weekend. And the kid writes, I went to the beach and I bought an ice cream and I liked my ice cream mm. and I came home and I went to bed. Mm -hmm. And you get and, and, yes. and, and. Teacher correction. Don't use so many ands. Mm -hmm. OK, right. It isn't mm. good style. But what do you put in their place? Yes. Now, you can't. If you think that to put in your plate, I'm going to give you a, a more difficult way, a more, a more interesting way of linking those sentences, and you, you write it on the homework, mm. well, let's go back to the beginning. Mm. Is the kid, first of all, used to listening to more interesting mm. ways? 
Linguistic task one. What are the more interesting ways? Yes. How would you and I, as adults, link sentences together? Mm -hmm. Well, you and I do things like... Uh, John went it out. Fortunately, he got some, oh, unfortunately, mm. sadly, mm. Uh, but later, a few hours later, mm. these are the ways you and I link and would write yes. more interesting stories. So, mm. first question, is the kid used to listening mm. to these things? Mm -hmm. Secondly, is the kid used to saying them aloud? And that mirrors the language acquisition process, doesn't it, from both? Oh, it does. They have to listen yeah. for listen, a good couple speak. of years before we start expecting them to, yeah. to speak. And then yeah. reading. Mm. You're not going to be able to write these things mm. unless you've read them. Yeah. Has the kid had the opportunity to read mm. books in which these more interesting connecting words are actually being used? I've got a lovely book here uh, by an author called Remy Charlip called Fortunately. Mm. And every page, as you turn over, begins with either... Uh, Fortunately, something happened. Turn over the page. Unfortunately, something happened. <laughs> Turn over the page. Fortunately, something happened. Now, kids love this kind yes. of storytelling. And mm. what it's doing is it's training sentence mm -hmm. connecting adverbials. Mm -hmm. Well, there's the terminology, you see. But it yes. comes in at the end yeah. of the realisation that you need to develop that kind of skill. Yes. And then once you've gone through the listening, speaking and reading, then the writing mm. should fall. It should just be automatic at that point, And yes. kids will want to use words like fortunately and unfortunately. Yeah. The job of the teacher because then I, is to stop them doing it too much. <laughs> I believe that they do want... They do have a creative drive they want to write well you know it's fun it's, it's very do. satisfying as well isn't it? all, all yeah. kids do and it mm. starts with uh, mm. listening and speaking mm. it starts with listening to stories when you're little mm -hmm. from your parents or from whoever and kids who have not had that experience will be disadvantaged to mm. some extent but then later uh, listening to whoever might be around whether it's on the internet or in a video game or whatever it might be mm. but then crucially uh, as with foreign language learning as well, it's not just listening. You've got to be able to interact mm. with whoever's doing the speaking. So speaking the story that you've just heard, I, I've got a lovely recording somewhere of um, my daughter Susie, actually, uh, who at one point, not by me, is asked by somebody um, talking about pigs. And she says, I know a story about pigs. And the, the, the other person says, well, tell me. Yes. So she tells the story of the three little pigs mm -hmm. in her own individual way. Yes. Based on the fairy story, mm -hmm. but changing it in all sorts mm -hmm. of ways. And that is an instinct for eloquence that yes. I think is a natural mm. feature of all children who haven't got any kind of disability. Yeah. And I noticed that mine, they, they like the, say, the three little pigs story, but they'll like dis different aspects of it. So one of my children loves, loves the wolf. Mm. And so we have to have a lot more wolf in the yeah. version. Have you seen the story mm. of the three little pigs told from the point of view of the wolf? Um, I think I have. Uh, uh, Al yeah. G. Uh, G yeah. Wolf. I mean, yeah. you know, everybody's got me wrong. <laughs> uh, all I wanted to do was uh, go next door. My mm. poor granny was ill. Uh, mm. They needed to get a cup of sugar to make her a cup of tea. So I knock on the door and here's this pig comes to the door mm. you know and he built his house of straw what a stupid pig you know so <laughs> yeah, have you got a, have you got some sugar and he's, he's a bit scared of me so he yeah. says no no so I, oh and then i felt a cold coming on and i and i, I couldn't i, I was going to sneeze and i couldn't <laughs> stop myself sneezing and i sneezed a big sneeze and oh. and huffed and puffed and the straw house fell to pieces and and the mm. poor little pig was lying there and mm. oh gosh well i mean think of it like a hamburger yeah. And it goes on like this. Brilliant. And, it, and the kids mm. love this kind of mm. change. They do, because they see that it's not a fixed 
narrative can be played with. And I think we're back on learn the rules and then Mm. break the rules. That's it. Kids love Mm. to break the rules Mm. so long as it's within the parameters Mm. of you know decency and so on. Yeah. So coming. So that's an interesting maybe link then to my next question, which is about how we're entering a bit of a new era of language because we do a lot more writing on social media. We tend to communicate a lot more textually perhaps than we um, have done because we're sending text messages and Facebook posts and we're consuming a lot of media um, that's written down um, and it maybe does that present some new and exciting possibilities that oh it most certainly yeah. does but you have to remember that we're dealing with a very fast moving world mm. here at the moment the internet is predominantly graphic mm-hmm. uh, about 80% to 20% audio mm. uh, that will change you, yes. you know the people in the industry say that within the next decade it's going to become more 50 50 mm. uh, with audio versus graphic mm-hmm. and even within the, the narrow time frame since the internet began we've seen massive changes in the in the graphic styles that mm. are that that people use and that are available to for people to use i mean the classic case is text messaging which yes. uh, came in in the early 2000s and um was became very popular amongst young kids because they once again they could they could break the rules mm-hmm. uh, they could abbreviate not do all sorts of funny abbreviations and things and some like people this. criticize that but it's actually well, at the time it, they did it's yes. actually a skill isn't it if you, you have to know oh, how yeah. to spell something yeah well exactly so, that, so then you can um uh, yes the um uh the people who criticized mm. it did so before any of the research had been mm. done to mm-hmm. show that actually uh, the people who are the best texters are actually the best spellers. Yes. And if you're not good at spelling, you're actually not very good at texting either. Indeed. Um, if we go, if we go back to when texting was introduced, um, a, a lot of abbreviations were introduced at the time, and people felt that this was a really cool, new, fashionable way of communicating, and so mm. they did have a, a huge fashionable impact uh, amongst uh, youngsters in particular. And that that fashion peaked about oh, about. In this country, different countries did it at different times, around about 2009, something mm. like that. And since then, uh, abbreviations have begun to fall away. Mm. And I was in a school not so long ago, uh, talking to 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds. One of the things I do is I often ask them to get a collection of text messages together and we analyse mm-hmm. the text messages. Um, and there wasn't a single abbreviation to be seen. I right. said, where have your abbreviations gone? And they said, they're not cool. They're not cool anymore. Right. They used to be cool when we were young, said these mm-hmm. 16-year-olds. Uh, but they're not cool now. And one guy said to me, I'll tell you when I stopped abbreviating. He mm-hmm. said, I stopped when my dad started. Yes. And so there is mm-hmm. this phenomenon as well. That when old people steal young people's slang, it's no mm-hmm. longer cool to use it. And then technological developments come along with predictive texting and things like that. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that happens, the motivation to abbreviate is simply not there anymore. So suddenly you get... A phenomenon, a brand new phenomenon, which is hotly criticised when it arrives um, mm. for the wrong reasons. Yes. Uh, it comes, it peaks, and it starts to go as mm. its novelty wears off to be replaced by something else. Uh, emojis at the moment are yes. in a similar uh, peaking and will soon fall away. Mm. Now, technology is like that. The technology changes, the language associated with the technology changes. Um, it's very difficult to predict the future with language but the fact the bottom line is that the kids of today are reading and mm-hmm. writing far more than I was doing when I was their age yes. simply because the technology allows them to do it does it um if we're communicating more through text then does it 
Um, and not just text, you mm. see, but all the other oh, social yes. media platforms as well. Blogging, for instance. People yeah. say about texting mm. and instant messaging and so on, oh, the sentences are very short. Mm. Well, of course they are if you've got a character limitation like mm. that. Though even so, with text messaging, 160 characters, that's 30 mm. or so words. Mm -hmm. You can write some long sentences there. Yeah. But think about blogging, for mm. instance, and all of those sorts of things where you can have long essays written mm -hmm. uh, and... and it isn't just a short messaging service yeah. that we've so got. It might here. actually encourage people to be more into writing then. So will that well, perhaps show a bit of a renaissance yeah. for It, it does, and the, and the job of the teacher here is not mm. to be scared of it uh, and, and not mm. to know very much about it or to dismiss it, um, but to come to terms with it, to get to grips with it, to master it, mm. and then show the kids how you get from... A text messaging style or a blogging mm. style or a social app style to a more sophisticated writing style mm -hmm. which you can do through the medium of blogs and other systems like that mm. um, and show that there is a bridge to be made I, I was in a class not so long ago and I saw a teacher doing excellent work like this so here's the story you have to tell task one tell it as if it's uh, a text message yes secondly tell it as if you're writing it home to your gran mm -hmm. thirdly Tell it as if, and so you're translating the mm. same message into different mediums yes. and using appropriate style. Tell it as if you're using it as, for the older kids, mm. um, evidence that you're going to apply for a job mm. uh, and so on. This is all about your background, you see. Mm -hmm. And so little simple things like you, you don't put a smiley at the end if you're applying for a job, you know. No, indeed. <laughs> so it does actually teach them about the registers and what's yeah, appropriate. Yeah, we're talking about appropriateness, yeah. and this is yeah. the crucial thing. Mm. If linguistics has done one thing, it has it has replaced the notion of an absolute correctness mm. in la language by a relative notion of appropriateness. Yes. This doesn't get rid of um, standards or anything like that. On the contrary, it fosters standards mm -hmm. because you then tune your standard to the circumstances in which you find yourself. Mm. I use the analogy here um, of, a, of a wardrobe, right. um, as you know. Uh, so you go to your wardrobe... That's in a little book of language, isn't it? I use it a lot, yes. yes. A lot. Uh, you you mm. go to a wardrobe, open it up, and if you've got all sorts of different kinds of clothes, then you're ready to choose the right kind of clothes for the social event that mm -hmm. you're going to go to the next day. If you've only got one kind of clothing in there, then you're pretty hamstrung, aren't you? You're not going to be yes. ready to meet the needs of society. It's the same with language. In our heads, mm. we have, we should have a wardrobe full of lots of different styles um, and you can choose the right style mm -hmm. for the right circumstances. If you've only got one style, then it's hopeless. You're not going to meet the demands of society. And the job of teaching in this respect mm. is to show how you evolve, if you haven't already instinctively got it, that variety of linguistic clothing that's mm -hmm. in your your brain wardrobe. And it starts at the very beginning. Mm. It doesn't start sort of at age 11 or anything. It starts at age four, five, or even, even younger. I've seen primary school teachers do brilliantly with things like, here's a cartoon character. Mm. What noise do you think that cartoon character would make? Right. And you've got a sort of, you know, elephanty kind of shape. Mm -hmm. And the kids will all go, goes, ooh, or something. <laughs> and then you have a character with sort of jagged hair and mm -hmm. things. What sort of noise do you think he would make? The kids all go, oh, yucka, 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 yucka. In other words, developing mm -hmm. a notion that there are appropriate sounds mm -hmm. for appropriate, for oftentimes the context. Yes. Develop that into appropriate words mm -hmm. and then into appropriate sentences. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you're into 
traditional language study. Yes, exactly. So we could build that through the whole curriculum and... Oh, and dead right. We the, shouldn't be afraid of technology. We should be no, showing and, the opportunity. And that last thing you made is central to it build it through the whole mm. curriculum yeah. uh, you know when the national curriculum came in I was really quite excited because I thought this is going to happen now mm. because uh, the problem with the old style language teaching in schools was that you were dropped into everything at once yes. usually at around about age 11 or yes. so mm -hmm. so the entirety of the language you had to pick up on mm. uh, everything to do with grammar everything to do in poetry for example with meter and things like this yes um, whereas the national curriculum began the notion of let's grade these mm. different things about language from the simpler to the more advanced mm -hmm. but unfortunately the government did not put enough effort into teaching the teachers how mm. to do this at the time. And the materials weren't there. And it's only yeah. recently they've mm. tried to rush and catch up. Yes. And once again, most teachers tell me, uh, I have to, uh, they've told me I have to teach grammar. Um, mm. Where do I start? Yeah. And they give them a grammar book. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, mm -hmm. that is jumping in at the deep end. Yes. No. no. The best way to study grammar mm. is to follow it through the process of language acquisition. Right. How do one-year-olds do it? One-and-a-half-year-olds mm -hmm. do it? And mm -hmm. when I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Making Sense, I called it the glamorous story of <laughs> English grammar. People say, glamorous? Yeah, well, it is if you're studying it from the point of view of language acquisition mm -hmm. and looking at how these lovely little kiddies sort of learn their grammar bit by bit. Mm. And you can learn about grammar by following the way they do it bit by bit. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. I would definitely advocate that approach. I think... If we look at how we, as humans, we learn language, mm. the way we do it in school doesn't seem to follow yeah. the same pattern. Yeah. But it's a change of mindset, yeah. you see. Yeah, you've, you've really got to think yourself mm. out of the box mm. because the tradition is, oh, grammar, it's all about subjects and objects and nouns and verbs and I must learn it all. And here is a grammar book. I will begin at the beginning and yes. I will work oh, Lord, As if it's separate cool. to what we actually say, though, do you? Well, yeah. It, yeah. Whereas actually grammar is just all tied up in how we well, learn to speak. That, that's <laughs> right. I mean, if you say to anybody... What, what's the important thing about language? They will say, eventually, elicit mm. it if they don't say it spontaneously. It's all about meaning. Right. So you then say, well, how is meaning expressed? And they mm. will say, well, through words. Mm. Well, are you sure about that? Let me give you a word. And if I give them a word and mm. say, you tell me what it means. And I say, table. And they say, oh, table. Um, I don't know. I mean, it could mean anything. It could be oh. a piece of furniture. It could be mm -hmm. something on a page in a book. Yes. Give me some context, they say. Right. Or they might say, put it in a sentence and then we will know what you mean. Mm. So I put it in a sentence and say, the leg of the table is broken. Mm -hmm. Or I say, um, the uh, there's a mistake in the second row of the table. And they, oh, now I know what you mean, of mm -hmm. course. Put it in a sentence and then mm. we'll know what you mean. That is what sentences are for. Yes. Sentences exist to make sense of words. Words mm. by themselves do not make sense. Mm -hmm. Only sentences make sense and grammar is the study of sentences. Right. So taking grammar as if it was separate from meaning yes. is bizarre. Yes. Because grammar has no purpose without no. reference to meaning. No, and the studying the you know subject-object, sort of naming of parts type of grammar... You know, without the context or the well, sentence, the, how, how are the children supposed to match up yeah. those I, I terminology a, and yeah. those skills? With I, I use with, an analogy mm. here which always uh, makes the point. People find it makes the point. I say, if you, you want to learn to drive, 
Hmm. And you go to the driving instructor and he says, right, now sit there. Now, uh, that's the steering wheel. Um, that is the brake. That's the accelerator. Can I just check you've got that? What is that? Steering wheel. What is that? Brake. What is that? Accelerator. And he goes around and teaches me all the names of the parts of the car. Yes. And then says, fine, now you know how to drive. Yes, well, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Yes. And it's yeah. the same with grammar. Mm. If you think you can do grammar just by uh, mm. knowing all the names of things, you've missed the point. Mm -hmm. You want to know all the other things to do with driving your grammar, like where yes. exciting places to go to and mm -hmm. the things you can do with it. Why do you want a car in the first place? Well, you know, <laughs> And it's the same yeah. with grammar. Mm. Uh, putting it in context is absolutely crucial. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been very fascinating to talk to you. Hopefully we can start to change the mindset and get language back well, in if, the if, centre of the if curriculum. If your podcasts don't do it, I don't think anything will. <laughs> thank you, David.